This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you rise above the noise and be your own loud through professionally produced podcasts and a host of social strategies. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now, here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. John Cutton here. Super excited to have a a business partner of our firm and a a little bit of a legend maybe in the industry. I don't know if I could say that, a living legend. So I have Frank LaRosa, who's the founder uh, and CEO of Elite Consulting Partners. And I'm really excited to have you here today, Frank. So I wanted you to say a quick hello to the audience. And if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could just give everyone a, a little bit of an overview of how you you know, founded and created Elite Consulting Partners and, and what it is that you guys do over there. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I think uh, the pressure's on now, right? The living legend. Uh, that's pretty uh, pretty big shoes to fill there. But thanks for having me on. Thanks for the partnership that we have with your firm and my firm. It's been, it's been great. But just by way of background, so I started Elite Consulting Partners in 2011, and uh, I was a former advisor, Prudential Security, Smith Barney, branch manager, complex director. And when I started my firm, I really wanted to be a disruptor in the business and do and work with financial advisors differently and uh, sort of different than how I used to work with a recruiter that was in the space when I was a manager and they would just send me a, a name and a phone number and they wouldn't really offer much guidance or advice to the advisor. They were just looking for the sale. Um, and having spent so many years working with advisors and being one myself, I still consider myself an advisor, but also seeing how the really successful advisors work with their wealthy clients using a process and a system. I I really wanted to bring that same type of process and experience to, to a financial advisor that is thinking about making a move from one firm to another. And it's really been great. We are now close to 40 members strong on my team nationally. We, um, recently hired a CFO. I have some other folks coming on board as well. We had a gentleman from another a large independent broker dealer join us this week as a chief operating officer. So we're really growing and we're really just trying to bring a, um, a real turn, a turnkey, all-inclusive experience to the financial advisor that's looking to make a move. Because there's one thing that I've learned over time as, as an advisor, when you're making a move to another firm, it can be a very daunting task. And if you're not working with someone that knows what they're doing, it can be a complete distraction from your business and and actually hurt your business. And so what we're trying to really do is be sort of be the point person for our our clients and uh, really make sure that we're giving them all of the information that they need to make a, a sound decision that they can really feel good about when they, you know, when they make their move, because transitions are difficult. There's always something that happens during the process. But if you know that you've gone through a, a deep due diligence and process with a number of firms, and you know you didn't leave any information out there that, that was unknown, you can feel really good about your move, even, even with some, some bumps and bruises along the way. Yeah, no, super well said, Frank. And uh, I didn't know you guys were, were so big. So congratulations. And uh, 
Well, you know, we, we just went through a similar process in our practice as we started in, you know, bringing a CFO and a COO and it's uh, just different work as you start to create some scale in the business. So completely appreciate that. You know, so I'm going to dig a little deeper and ask. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, what I'm hearing you say is you've built a system and a process, right, as a differentiator around really becoming, I would call it the advocate for advisors that might be considering change. So if you wouldn't mind, Frank, maybe you can just go through a little bit around kind of like what happens in that process? What's that due diligence look like? If I was an advisor thinking about making a change, that might be helpful for the audience. Yeah, so we we have something called a, uh, an elite next level process where we really start off with the advisor in mind. And we don't have any agenda or any idea where we're going to, I'll say take an advisor, but what firms we're going to recommend an advisor because we don't really know anything about them yet. So we really start with a deep dive in who they are, what their practice looks like, what kinds of clients do they have. Um, and, and that takes some time and a little bit of psychology in there because we're trying to figure out uh, what they're all about. What does the team dynamic look like? Do they have a team, right? Are they a practitioner, a business, or an enterprise? Right? So when you're adding people to your team, <clears throat> that tells me you're trying to you're, you're trying to really be an enterprise in, or a bigger enterprise. I think you're already an enterprise, but you're trying to get even bigger. And so sure. what we try to figure out and peel the onion back with an advisor is where are they along that spectrum? And then where do they want to go? So what do they want to be when they grow up is what I ask them. And that really gets into the core of what they're trying to do, why they're talking to us. And so it's no different than, and it's weird, I, I think of myself almost like as a branch manager to every advisor that we work with. And as when I was a branch manager, my, my job was really to help my advisors grow their practices, how, however they wanted to grow it. You know, some advisors want to quadruple their business and, you know, they'll, they'll work as many hours as they need to. Other advisors want to sort of maintain a, neat, a decent growth rate, but also have a balance with their, their personal time and all that stuff. And so we, we can solve for all of those things. So once we figure out what, what the advisor is trying to get accomplished, right, then we then we bring to them the firms and it's many times it's multiple options so that they can understand what's out there. Think of it as an education process. And I typically tell them what they think that they want at the beginning may not be what they end up with at the end as they become educated with what's out there. There's so much out there. You know, every firm tells you that they have the best uh, culture and they have the best technology and all that stuff. And I've never actually once heard a firm say that they don't have a, the best culture or their competitor has a better culture than theirs. So, you know, we try to help sort of <laughs> filter out that noise. But we will introduce four, five, six firms, seven firms, depend along the way. Uh, we, may, we may start with four or five. And then as we're having calls with the firms and our clients, and we're, and we're on those calls, we're very engaged which was something that I, I, I didn't care for when I used to work with recruiters years ago, is they, didn't, they weren't engaged at all. We want to be engaged with our, with our clients and the firms that they're talking to, because I want to hear what my client, John, says to this firm about a particular area, because there may be something that he says that in my mind, because we work with well over 150 different firms, I might say, if that's really important to you, 
there's another firm that I think you should talk to, and here's why. And so it's an evolution. They're learning about themselves. I'm learning about them. My goal is to really understand their business almost as well as they do. Sure. And so we, I take it very personally when I make recommendations. Again, and if I was just going to sign with whatever firm they want to go to, right? I can't force that. But what they're coming to me for is guidance and advice and, and, and an opinion. And eventually, not right away, but eventually I'll have an opinion about what I really think they should be doing. And I'm, I'm vocal about it. And if they don't agree, that's okay. It's their business. But eventually I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to say, listen, I think that both of these firms are really good firms, but firm A is really the best fit for what you're, what you're saying you want and where you're going with your firm. You know, I think a lot of advisors make a mistake when they're looking at firms and they're only looking at the short-term issues and that, that they're trying to solve. And they're not thinking about where they're trying to go with their business and whether or not, whether or not that particular firm that they're looking at is going to be able to handle the growth. You know, your podcast is called Quantum Growth, right? Is the firm that they go to going to be able to, going to, be able to handle the quantum growth that they're seeking? Sure. And a lot of times they, it isn't. So that's the, you know, I could easily say, oh, go to, the, you know, go to firm A and after five years, they'll get tired over to the rock row and they'll call me back and they'll want to move again, which is self-serving. What I'm really trying to do is bring my clients to a firm where they never have to move again. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, I've created a rating fan. I've created a loyal client to us. Many times we will, we call them elite flags. So I, if I move an advisor to a firm and that advisor and practitioner is looking to build a, an enterprise, well, now I know with my team of 40 and growing, we have a client in, in Charlotte, let's just say, just picking a, a city for no sure. random reason. But now we have a client in Charlotte who we know their model. We know who they are. We know where they're trying to go. And it makes it much easier for us to tuck in and help recruit to their office because they're our client. We want to help them succeed. And, and we know the story inside now. So it makes it easy for us to tell another, another advisor why they might want to tuck into that office, why they might want to tuck into you know, cutting wealth, right? why, why you're, you're a great firm to tuck into if an advisor is looking for certain types of things. And so that's why it's really important for us to, to really, really understand our clients, what makes them tick, what kinds of clients do they have? Because you know that makes a big difference sometimes with certain types of firms. And so, you know, yeah, Frank. So lo love it. Super well said. And um, go back to kind of your opening remarks, right? It's really similar. It sounds like to the financial planning process where you're doing a deep dive, right? Understanding the, in this case, the client happens to be the advisor, right? Understanding, you know, what makes them tick, what their goals are, short, medium, long term, and then ultimately going through all of, you know, in our world, it might be the products, right? The, you know, what's the right portfolio or the life insurance or the annuity or whatever it may be, depending on the client situation and giving them options and kind of leading them in the direction to go, this, this one might be the winner. And in my opinion, it is, but ultimately it's up to the client or the advisor as to what he or she chooses to do. So completely aligned. I, I love the fact that if I heard you correctly, it, it sounded like you said you have over 150 different kind of relationships 
in the industry. So you're kind of like a non-denominational church is what I would say, where you, you know, you meet an advisor and you learn about what it is he or she's looking to accomplish. And then it's really just about finding the right fit for the long-term future. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could just hit that a little bit. It sounds like you must do work in the RIA space and the wirehouse space, regional space, et cetera. But maybe you can just talk a little bit about where you work, if that makes sense, and help advisors mm-hmm. land and maybe a little overview of what you're seeing in the regional space, in the wirehouse space, in the independent advisor kind of hybrid, and then the RIA space. That would yeah. be really helpful. Sure. So we, we work across the board. And what that means is we work with some of the biggest wirehouse firms out there regional firms, independents, RIAs. So we can help an, ad, uh, an advisor affiliate with any number of those firms. You, you name the, the, the firm, we, we can help a, a client go there. And I structured it that way so that I can be, and my, my team and the, my senior consultants here can be completely agnostic as to what the solution is going to be for, that, for their client. And Unlike some, some other people, I think there's some people in our business that they get on this independent bandwagon. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I love the entrepreneur space. And as an, so as an independent advisor, you're an entrepreneur and the math and all the economics, all that stuff. But I grew up in the, in the wirehouse W2 world. So I also know, and I have many friends that are, you know, at major firms, Morgan Stanley and UBS and Merrill. And, and so I also know and realize and can appreciate that some people just don't have the capacity uh, or desire to do what you and I do, right? Run a business, worry about P&Ls, worry about rent and, and all, all of the things that go into running a business. And that's sure. okay. Right? One of my closest friends, uh, I, I desperately wanted him to go independent because as an individual, he's an entrepreneur. But when it came to the financial service world, he, he just not for him, right? Sure. So he'll probably either stay where he is or he'll, he'll move someplace to another W2 world. But so I don't, I don't, I don't judge. I don't say, Oh my God, how could you stop, want to stay in the W2 world? Don't you know the economics and you know, are you stupid? I don't, I don't believe in that because sometimes that's just better mm-hmm. uh, for that particular advisor. And that's fine. You know, I see that. And then the same thing goes, like if you go downstream a little bit for the independent advisor, looking at the RIA space. Everyone wants to talk about going and being an RIA and that's what I want to do. And I don't think a lot of them really fully understand the challenges that they're going to have when they go do that. They're going to, oh, I'm going to get rid of FINRA because they're a pain in the neck. And, you know, well, SEC is just as bad, right? If not yeah. worse, right? Yep. Um, so, so, Frank, I, I, I coach an advisor. It's just funny you say that who probably – maybe a month ago now, maybe a little bit longer, left an independent broker dealer world, started his own RIA and was going through his first SEC audit. And (laughs) his stress level was an 11 on a scale uh, of one to 10. It went well and he runs a great book and all that, but there's, you know, gimme's and gotchas, right? Of every potential place that you land. And it's really about navigating, you know, those. But I've been been through, right. I've been through a FINRA audit and I've seen, I haven't been through an SEC audit, but I've seen them. They're different. A FINRA audit, after you go through an SEC audit, a FINRA audit's like a cakewalk, Yep. you know, and people don't understand that when the SEC walks through the door, even though you may have a great compliance officer and all that stuff, if you're the owner of the firm, they don't want to talk to the compliance person. They want your, as, a, as the owner, your full attention for what could be months at a time. Um, yep. And so, 
you know, I think that's a huge mistake that people make. But again, I think that there are some people that can do it, and I think there are some people that can't do it. My opinion, when we look at the where the industry is going, sort of as you, as you segue, you know, I think that some of the wirehouse firms are trying to figure out how to solve for the independent and this independent push, right? So many advisors are going independent. COVID had a lot to do with that. Our business has grown exponentially because of that. You know, if you're a Merrill Lynch advisor, you haven't been able to go to your office for two years. Uh, your assistant is at her house or his house. So basically, you're effectively independent, but you're still only getting a 42% cash payout, right? Yep. So, so why not just go independent? I think that the, the sort of the, there's going to be an evolution. There's going to be a push for W-2 advisor to 1099. I'll call them 1099 independent broker-dealer to RIA. I think on the backside of this thing, a lot of these new RIAs, nouveau RIAs, in a couple of years after going through an audit or two, um, are going to decide it's not worth it. And they're going to realize, which is what I try to get my clients to understand, that sometimes they can have better economics by tucking into a larger RIA, an RIA that has scale, that has the team in place, that's, that's, that knows how to uh, ha- handle compliance and operations and ADVs and all that stuff. And then where that advisor can just focus on their clients and their own practice. And I think, I think advisors that go down that road forget that they will end up spending a majority of their time on the operational compliance side, even though they're really salespeople. They're really, that's how they grew. That's how they became successful is finding finding clients, bringing them in. Maybe they're a good asset manager, so that was their thing. But what they end up finding, and I think ha- is happening and will happen more, is they're going to wake up one day. Um, and we had this happen recently. Um, we actually had the wife of an, RI, of an owner of an RIA call us. <laughs> the wife called. <laughs> Please uh, get my husband out of this. He's driving yeah, me crazy. He's miserable. Basically, <laughs> it was basically like that. It was like, yeah. Please help my help my my husband. He's doing everything. He's and so we're we're working with him on trying to on on sort of delegating and all that good stuff. But you know, yep. I think that there's going to be this trend. Some of the people are going to go to the RIA space, and then I think in a couple of years you're going to see a, a further consolidation. You see, you see it now, but that's sort of the older R- RIAs that have been around for a longer period of time, where they're the the, the CEOs and founders are, are getting a little bit up there in age. So sure. that's what you're seeing consolidation now. But there's going to be this barbell effect where this, the newer new age RIA is going to, in a couple of years, probably going to start consolidating again as well. Yeah. So I, I could see it, Frank, in, in the business as well. And like you, I study, you know, what goes on in the industry a lot and get, you know, to meet a lot of top advisors in the industry being on, you know, the, the top Barron's list and Forbes list and all that kind of good stuff. So what, what I would say when I'm hearing you say, and I completely concur, by the way, is it seems like the industry, no matter where you are, right? More advisors, not all, right? Some want to go wire to wire and kind of make a lateral change just to put on a different jersey. And maybe there's different resources in certain firms and culture. But it sounds like everyone's trying to get a little bit more independent wherever you are, whether it be a wire or a regional, wire going to a regional, a regional going to an independent BD, an independent BD, going to an RIA. And I think you're exactly right. I, I I see the trend as well. It seems right that there's more and more consolidation, and there's becoming some you know larger players in the independent 
BD world and more of them for sure in the RIA world. And sometimes it's just better to affiliate to someone who's built it all and can take all the minutia off your plate. And when you actually do the risk return comparison and the time spent, I think you're exactly right. If you're spending a third of your time as the kind of main advisor in a business doing administrative function and compliance and so on, et cetera, well, what, you know, what, what, what does that actually do to the bottom line of your firm? Because it's yeah. probably not growing at the same rate because your, you know, your attention needs to be diverted. So, you know, yeah, I've we, got we've this- done an, We've done an analysis. Uh, we had a pro forma for our clients and what we've found with, uh, you know, let's call it 800 to a billion and change. Maybe when you hit 2 billion, there's sort of a, a break there where the, the spread widens a little bit more because you can afford to bring some people on board. But, you know, we work with clients and what we see a lot is the difference between setting up your own RIA and doing it the right way they're setting up an RA the right way and the wrong way, but doing sure. it the right way versus affiliating, tucking in with a, to a corporate RIA, we're finding that the spread, the sort of the net margin spread, right, it's all about the net, is, is only a few points. And so if you, you have to look at what are you getting, to your point, what are you getting for that two or three points? And I look at that like that's an investment in you to go out, if, if you can, if, if by pay, giving up three points, and maybe that's $150,000 or whatever the number is, if that allows you as the, as the main producer, the founder, the money guy, to go out and find more assets right, and, and free up your time, that's worth it. You're going to get more growth than what it's costing you to affiliate with a, with a corporate RIA. Yeah, com- completely in in agreement. And, you know, so to our listeners, right, you're getting some, in my opinion, amazing gems. If you're if you're one of two things, someone thinking about making a move or some, you know, you're, you're on one side or the other. You're either I mean, you're on three sides. One, you're happy. So continue to be happy Two, you're looking to make a move because you're trying to create something right or three, you're looking to recruit and create a value proposition for advisors who are looking to make a move. You got to be probably in one of those three camps. And I've got, you know, a leadership coach and he talks a lot about, he calls it simple, complex, simple. And he talks about simplicity on the far side of complexity. So what that means to the listeners, right, is when you think about it and you go, hey, I'm an advisor, I want to go create an RIA. Everything I read is it's 100% payout and there's no administrative fee and um, I can maximize, I could just make, you know, print 30 or 40 or 50%, depending on where you are, more profit. That's simple, right? Sounds like a simple idea. But in between simple, just imagine a mountain, Frank, you've got all this complexity, SEC audits, picking the right technology, picking the right asset management software, developing people, building health insurance, 401ks, you name it, right? Yeah. Um, And that's a lot of complexity. If you can get through all that and you're an entrepreneur and that's where your time is best spent, if you get to the other side, there's probably not a better place to be if you're able to actually do that. But I think you're right. I think few get to the other side and find themselves muddled in this complexity going, man, I didn't really get to a necessarily a much more profitable spot because I'm in the middle of this minutia and I don't know how to figure it all out. So I'm just sharing that to say, like, as you're talking, Frank, 
years and years of experience. I'm assuming you've moved hundreds of advisors, maybe thousands as a firm. That's the value. As I look at, as I think about elite consulting partners, if I was an advisor looking to make a move, right? Like, how would you know that complexity? You've moved hundreds of people or thousands of people, whatever the, whatever it actually is, you've seen all the stories and I'm sure get to check back in with people and hear, well, it's still good. I'm glad I did it, but it might've been harder than I thought, or I'm killing it. And this is amazing. And those are the folks you're probably working with attracting more, as you said, tuck-ins into their business. So just curious if, you know, you have any thoughts there. And I just wanted to highlight that point to our listeners, because I I meet a lot of recruits and sometimes they just reach out to me directly and they know nothing about the options, which in a way is a good thing for me because they, you know, they're they're impressed, you know, by us and, and sometimes we'll land them. But if they were going to look at seven different shops as an example, they might come to the conclusion that we are the best choice, or they might come to the conclusion that there's something totally different out there. And it's just that kind of understanding of someone who's got all that experience. Yeah, we, we've, I, I get calls from people, um, I can, one comes to mind, um, the Wells Fargo advisor, and he was trying to do it on his own. And he talked to a ton of firms. And, you know, after learning about him a little bit and go through that peel the onion process, and then I said, well, well, tell me the firms that you're talking to. Like they were all the wrong firms. And the, the challenge is, and it's not that people, it's not that representatives at these firms are lying. They're not lying, but they believe in their story and only their story. And so they're only going to give an advisor the color that makes their story sound the best. Now, when you're talking to an advisor, you're going to tell them like Cut and Wealth is the best firm to affiliate with. And, and you're going to believe it because it's your company. So of course. What I find, though, is they – and then the, the advisor starts to get confused and who's telling me what, and I don't know what the truth is. And they say that this custodian is better than this custodian, and then and they get they get sometimes so confused that they end up not doing anything, which is worse, right? And we talk about simple versus complex. What I say to, to get it really simple and, and get advisors to understand the impact of, of a change is – I simply say, if say someone's at Merrill Lynch, so tell me what, how much money hits your checking account after your taxes and all that and healthcare and all that, like how much gets direct deposited to your checking account at the end of the month? And they'll say, well, $40,000. Okay. So if you go independent and whether it's a tuck in, whether you're doing it on your own, you know, whatever the structure is, it's going to be plus or minus a, a, a few percentage points double that. So if you're getting 40 in your checking account, it's probably going to be close to 80 when you go independent because of your, your people don't forget the thing about like, well, yeah, but I got to pay for healthcare. Okay. You're paying for healthcare at Merrill Lynch too. Like go look right. at your pay stub. You're probably paying about a thousand dollars a month because it's 500 a, a paycheck and you get two paychecks every month. So it's a thousand dollars. So, you know, they don't go through that, that stuff. And so we, we try to, you know, simplify it there um, and then we say to them, so if your if your margin is thirty thousand a month, where meaning that if you went independent, you're going to increase your your net income by thirty grand every month. You're you stay at Merrill Lynch or more, whatever whatever firm. I'm not picking on Merrill Lynch, right? Sure. But every month you're there, you're choosing to pay Merrill Lynch thirty thousand dollars for the privilege of their compliance and doing business there. 
Think about that. Mm-hmm. So they're complaining. I hate the firm. And okay, you hate the firm. I get it. But you're paying them an extra thirty grand to work there. That's as simple as it gets. Yeah. And you know, uh, and if you were and if you were not at Merrill Lynch and you were looking at other firms, would you pick Merrill Lynch to go to? Hell no, I wouldn't go there. Well, then why are you staying there? Right. Yep. That's. So I, I don't know if that was your question, but I, I get passionate about some of these things. But I do see advisors, you know, we, we work with firms all the time. We see every situation. We see the good and the bad, the mistakes that advisors make when they make their moves. I try to put uh, my new clients in touch with my old clients that have moved from that particular firm because I want my, my, my old client, right, to tell my new client how things went and what they would have done differently. Sure. Because those are the gems that you want. You want to you want to learn some things from somebody else's mistake. Like, hey, if I if I if I known this, I would have done this a little bit differently. I would have prepared a little differently. I would have not not spent so much time focusing on the perfect desks in my office. I would have just waited until I got my business settled, and I would have dealt with that later. Like stuff like that. So it's it's those types of things that I worry about when an advisor doesn't work with us and they're trying to go on their own. And I won't say us. A there's a there's a really couple good firms like mine in the business, it's really working with a consultant. Um, yeah, sure. you know, it's no different than when they talk to a wealthy client and they find out this wealthy client is managing their millions of dollars on their own at Schwab. You're like, oh my God, like, you know, why are you doing that? It's the same analogy. It's the same thing. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proudmouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. Yeah, to- totally agree. And um, yeah, it's it's around valuing advice, right? And we want clients to value our advice as advisors. Perfect example, markets are a little crazy lately, right? We've seen it before, right? Where many of our clients haven't. So cooler heads prevail and, and you know, hopefully at least, and you get, you know, you get the opportunity to use your experience to help people make, you know, better decisions. And listen, moving, moving a book of business from wherever you are to wherever you're going, no matter what is stressful. It's hard. It's a lot of work, et cetera. And Frank, I, I, I'm going to ask you a question that's probably on, on some of our listeners' minds. So, you know, you talk through a, a little bit before, I know you're just kind of like using rough numbers, but hey, you know, going from a wire, lower payout to independent, the main opportunity there is there's some margin increase and more flexibility and availability and uh, things along those lines. And then, you know, at some point you have to, I believe at least, kind of look at the whole right economic situation. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, transition compensation to make a move, You've got equity value versus what the business is worth, where you are. Maybe you can just talk through that a little bit because I'm sure that's a conversation you must have often with advisors. It is. Um, And if we were on video, you'd see behind my right shoulder, I have my board up there with all these numbers and circles and arrows and percentages. Um, I do. Yes. uh, Yeah. So that is basically a calculation and a formula on how advisors can um, really 
increase the value of their business by over 256% is what it says on the board there, right? By not, by not reti- essentially retiring at the firm that they're at, right? Take, take a transition deal, move to the new firm, whether it's with your partner or not, or find a new partner. Then you take it, then you, then you set up a, a retirement program at, at the new firm. If you do that, when you go independent, you get a higher valuation because as an independent advisor, there's, there's a bigger marketplace for your business to sell. So supply demand, higher demand, more, more buyers, more buyers means you have a higher valuation on your business. So you also, when you sell as an independent advisor, you generally are selling a long-term capital gain rate. So you're actually getting a better net after-tax deal. But, you know, in terms of that whole, the economics as a whole, I think that on the wire side, the retail side, I continue to see deals going up. You have Morgan Stanley, UBS back in the game. They're putting out some really interesting deals. Morgan Stanley more so than UBS in terms of percentage size-wise. I think that there's a massive fight battle going on between RIAs and independent broker-dealers for assets. So these firms, larger firms are out there just paying through the nose for assets. They, they see what's coming, and that is in a rising interest rate environment, and they're doing whatever they can right now while interest rates are lower to use that lower, the, the lower cost of funds to go buy those assets. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening as we speak. I think that the same thing is happening when you look at valuations on the valuation side, so the pure M&A side. PE firms and buyers in general, I'm not just going to say PE firms, but buyers in general yep. are willing to pay up right now because the cost of funds is cheap. I, I was with a private capital firm, I'll call it, last week. They're not really a PE firm, but they're a private capital firm. And we were talking about the trend with uh, multiples. And he agreed with me that in, that in a couple, I think the window is starting to close a little bit on, or is going to start closing a little bit on these high, frothy multiples. You know, 17, 18, 19X. Ron Carson got 21X. I heard. I heard uh, Mercer bought a, a local guy here in Philadelphia, a six million dollar practice. I think he he got paid. He got sixteen x. Wow. So frothy multiples. Now sixteen x on for those for the listeners. There's a difference between getting a sixteen x on on a, on EBOC or EBITDA. Right? And our business is generally EBOC, or so earnings before owners comp, versus when someone says, "Well, you're going to get a four x." If it's four x on top line revenue, that's, that's good too, right? It's, it's, it's a different number. So you have to understand, uh, yes. it's just like when someone says, when the guy Schwab says to somebody thinking about starting an RIA, oh, it's a hundred percent payout. You know, we do all the work. Okay. That's only one component of, of the math. Right. right? And so, uh, but in any event, I, I do think in, uh, as interest rates start to trend up, you're going to see the multiples can compress, but I, it's, there's never been a better time for an advisor uh, who's interested in making a move to, to do that now. An advisor that maybe, this is a huge mistake I think advisors make too, and we weren't, we weren't talking about this a little bit. Maybe this is segueing into it. A huge mistake advisors make is they're not looking into the future far enough in terms of what their goals are. So when I say, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? They, you have to understand where you're trying to take the business. And ultimately, because it's one, it's probably, if not the largest, one of your largest assets as a as a as an individual. You have to look at it as a as a as an asset, and 
make sure that you're doing the things today that are, are going to align with a higher valuation tomorrow, yeah, uh, which, is, which is have a management team, have a process in place. You might, as an advisor, John, you might love capital markets and love managing money, but if you're the only one on your team managing the money, it actually is a detractor to your valuation. Because if you yeah. get hit by a bus, a buyer's going to go, yeah, but John, if you get hit by a bus, I can't run money the way you're running the money. So I'm going to lose clients. I'm going to, right? So thinking about those things today, as if you were selling your firm, as if it was, if it was a million dollar practice and today, and you knew that at 5 million, I'm going to hit the bid, I'm going to sell. Okay. So you need to run and operate your business today as if it's a $5 million practice. Yeah. I mean, Frank, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is a couple of things there. One, completely agree. Advisors in general don't spend enough time working on the business because they're so darn busy working in the business. Yep. So they're not thinking about their own retirement, their own equity value, what, what kind of the investment banking function looks like for them. And yep. then two, what I'm hearing you say, I'll, you know, I'll kind of steal a Dan Sullivan term, which is a self-managing company has better value than a practitioner driven company. So when you start to build an enterprise or an ensemble or whatever you want to call it, well, if you're not the advisor or you're not the asset manager and you've got a, you know, executive team in place, when you get to a certain level of EBITDA or EBOC, you'll get a much higher premium because the buyer doesn't need to now figure out how to run the business. The business is just running and they know when you exit, it's, 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 it's built in a way that it's really a self-running company, not a company that's reliant on Frank or John's or whoever it might be, you know, it's hard work and energy and know-how. So completely agree with that. And, you know, what I'm also hearing you say, just to recapture, you're like me, you got so many things in your mind. I think they all like, rah, right? So I'm, yeah. trust me, very much the same. You know, no different than a house, right? Interest rates are going up, right? And who the heck knows with what's going on in the world today with inflation, maybe housing prices will continue to go up. It seems like they are. But historically speaking, if if a buyer is going to use their capital, whether it be a broker dealer, whether it be a private equity shop, whether it be someone like myself who's in the business of acquiring, well, if I'm going to a bank to borrow money and I was borrowing at four and change, and at some point I might be borrowing at six and change, just like a mortgage, well, I probably, from a cash flow perspective, I'm not going to be able to, you know, afford quite as much in a payment or as a purchase price to actually go acquire someone. Couple that with some market volatility, right? And all the gutsy buyers start to go, well, I don't know what's going to happen as much, just like our gutsy clients are going, maybe I shouldn't have so much inequities at the point. So, you know, what I'm hearing you say is we're in maybe like a sweet spot right now, who knows? Um, but if you're thinking about a move or a change from a timing perspective, the next 90 days, six months, 12 months might be more opportune. And it, it could be that things kind of settle for a little bit over the ensuing handful of years. Is that mm -hmm. directionally what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I just feel like buyers that are out there with, with low interest rate capital, they can, they can afford right now, maybe the next 12 months or so to pay up a little bit. They're willing to it's like when you like you buy a house and you have a really low interest rate, three percent or whatever. You you don't necessarily worry about arguing over twenty grand or thirty or fifty grand price of a house because yeah. you're going well. What does that really 
equate to in the, in the mortgage, like 50 bucks, right? Whatever yep. the number you're like. So, so Frank, fine. sorry to interrupt, but yeah. as one of those buyers, yeah. you're exactly right. I mean, that's literally in my leadership team meetings as we're thinking about M&A, our, our thought is, hey, we got to go go out there and do some more M&A in the next this year, really, yeah. right? And then who knows, may, maybe maybe continued in the future. But you're right, looking at, looking at it, when you start to think about a one or 2% interest rate spread, on a five or 10 or $20 million purchase price of a business, that 2%, you, you amortize that over a seven, seven or eight year period of time. Right. And uh, it makes a heck of a big difference in what you could you know, pay for a business. So yeah. And, I think and so I think, I think that's happening. I think that the M&A money that's out there is also looking at that and looking at the future. So they're going to pay up for a business that um, is advisory based and they're looking at, okay, so over the next five years or seven years on a business we're buying today, there's a higher likelihood that the revenue is going to trend down on that business if the market trends down over an extended period of time. So we need to be really careful with, with who we're buying and how much we're paying. Um, and so all of these things go into play in terms of what does your management team look like? Who's running your money? Do you have an investment policy statement? What does your staff look like? Do you have contingency plans? Do you have one large client or do you have a bunch of clients, right? There's that meet, happy medium between having too many clients and not enough clients to have risk. So yeah. those are the things that we try to, even when we're consulting, where we're not getting paid on that kind of advice with our clients, or we're just helping them, I mean, not just, but we're helping them move firms. But in those conversations, in those dialogue about moving firms, I'm having this kind of conversation. Right, because yeah. I'm trying to set them up for success in the future so that when they say, All right, we're ready to sell, they come to us and we help them we help them with that purchase. Because we yeah, can do there, that. There's also. you know, there's Frank, I always say to you know, advisors that I'm speaking to, and you can just see it, there's there's a whole nother part to our business outside of just building a wealth management practice and driving profits. It's the value. Of the business and there's value in in the wirehouse and i'll just say w2 channel where mm -hmm. right a firm will write you big checks like you said i mean i hear 300 percent on a good good you know larger practice is still out there which is crazy money when you think about it and you have to factor that in to what your then lower payout rate would be over the term and my my guess is i guess what i'm driving at is outside i believe and i love your feedback on it of the actual equity value when you ultimately exit the business, if that's your desire. It seems like when you think about a check you get on a W2 channel versus the independent or RIA platform, I kind of assume everything starts to regress to a mean and there's not a huge meaningful difference in, to your point, what goes into your checking account over say, you know, an eight or 10 year period of time. The real differentiator is what the value of the business is when you start to think about eight or 10 or 18 time multiples on EBOC relative to a 300% deal taxable as ordinary income versus yep. cap gain treatment. I feel like that's where the differential comes in if you can live more in that independent space. I'm just curious if yeah. that's directionally right. It, it is, um, I, it, and again, there's there's an age component into the, in there, right? If you're 45 and you make that change, you have a longer runway to take advantage of the of the spread, increased spread by going independent, 
right? Mm-hmm. So you're so you're adding more to, to your to your wallet over a longer period of time, which is great. And then there's the sort of the the the, the component that you can't really put a price on that is, you know, what are you doing? What, what are you, what are you responsible for and not responsible for? And again, some advisors just want to be in the wire space and they understand there's a gap there, but it's okay. Cause they want to, you know, they want to come in at nine and we leave it four. they want to, you know, if, if they're having an issue with their sales system, they want to just go talk to the guy in the corner office and uh, Monday there's a new person in the seat. Right. So there's some values there. I do think that, um, the, the biggest differentiator as you're looking at your business as an asset, as an investment, and you need to, it's an entrepreneur thing. I'm trying to get people to start thinking that way um, is the, is the exit, is the exit value and not necessarily all exit value either, but it's the um, longevity of the business. It's creating a legacy, a legacy kind of business for, that you don't necessarily get at a wirehouse firm. Right, because yeah. legacy business as an independent, you can bring on people, staff, and you. I have also had this philosophy, and I know we're running long on time, but I actually don't believe in if uh, an advisor selling their entire book. I think that actually it's a short-sighted way to look at things because every time I've done, and there's lots of frothy numbers out there going on, and I'm involved in some of those. But whenever I do the math, it's only about a six or seven-year break-even, meaning after seven years. Even with rich high multiples, after seven years, you would have been better off just holding on to your business. Yep. Because of, of the money, right? So my advice to to clients is: listen, you're better off building a really good team that can run the business, and you play what I call Papa Bear. So you get a lower percentage of the revenue. You're still making a nice income, and you're and you're the one now going and playing golf and hobnobbing and shaking hands and kissing babies and bringing assets in. Just go be the money guy. Right, you, you, you know, Frank. They, my nickname in the office is Papa Bear, right? Oh, no, I'm just, no, I didn't know I'm just that. teasing, but no, um, I, but I can. You know, I just say to them, just go do what you're doing anyway, and and over a period of time, you, you're going to end up making more money anyway. Why why sell to some firm that's not going to take care of the leg? That's it's a whole nother animal, it's a whole nother topic. I'm really passionate about that part because I think that advisors they're getting enamored with some of this money, and they're not looking at yeah, what they're giving up. It's cash flow. Yeah. Ca- cash flow versus lump sum. Right. And I, I look at that a lot. Right. So you sell your business for a 10 time multiple. You got a million of EBITDA. You get $10 million. Great. Now you get a 4% return on the $10 million. It's, oh, you know, whopping $400,000 a year. But yet your business was making a million dollars. So I, I completely get it. And that business right. is going to grow and you can go sell it again. So I get it. You know, my, my belief and part of our plan is to sell in tranches, right? So you Same take here, some chips right. off the table and go from there. So, hey, Frank, as yep. you can tell, I would like to actually make this like a four-hour podcast. <laughs> and just fair disclosure, we do some work together, Frank and I, newer relationship, but we haven't personally gotten a lot of FaceTime together. So, man, we're super aligned on how we think, by the way, is what I'm uh, learning. And I yeah. think we could probably talk for like a hundred hours together on this stuff, sure. which is, uh, which is kind of fun. So Frank, in wrapping things up, two things that I wanted to just ask, I know you have your own podcast, which is amazing. And I've listened to myself. If you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners um, a little bit, how they'd find your podcast and then also how they get in touch with, you know, you or the right person in your firm, uh, if they're interested in learning more about how you could be a resource. Yeah, I appreciate it. So the name of our podcast is advisor talk with Frank LaRosa. Um, and it's same, just like this. It's like veterans talking about the business 
as if you were sitting around, uh, you know, having a beer and having lunch and talking. So that's the genesis there. It's really great. So you can check that out on iTunes. We also have a YouTube channel. So Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa on YouTube. Uh, you can go to our website, which is EliteConsultingPartners.com. Uh, you can email me at Frank at EliteConsultingPartners.com. And also our, our Instagram page is really cool. Uh, it's FrankLaRosa.Elite. Uh, so Instagram, Facebook, it's the same thing now. And we have all sorts of great content on there. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurial content, as well as podcasts and industry stuff, because I think that every advisor in the business should be thinking like an entrepreneur, even if they're in W2 space. So, but I appreciate this was awesome. Again, we could, we could keep going. So, but yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. If you're open to it, love to have you on another time. And um, I really sure. do. Again, this is a podcast, but Frank and I are actually looking at each other on video. You can tell when someone's really passionate about what they do. And I can tell from talking to Frank that he's super passionate around just simply helping advisors make smart decisions because it doesn't seem like it's fun to watch someone make not to not see the whole picture. Right. And that's when 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 you know it and you've got that, I call it the curse of knowledge. You just want to share it because you want to shake people sometimes. Ah, You're not getting it. So painful sometimes. Yep. I, I get it. So, hey, really a lot of fun, Frank. Thanks again for joining us. And um, thanks to all of our listeners today for joining another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you or anyone you know could be a good guest uh, for the show or an interesting guest, please shoot us an email. And again, thank you for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Make it a great day. If you are interested in learning more about how Cut & Consulting Group can help you with comprehensive coaching or partnering with CPA firms in your area, feel free to visit our website at www.cutandconsultinggroup.com or reach out to us at 855-722-9393 to have a conversation.